Lucky you. 36 best holes in golf. Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about golf. Sandy. Poker. James Bond. Horse racing. Double. Classic movies. Zenyatta. We have no script. Down the stretch they come. We are glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) Welcome to Ken Venturi Part 2. Take a listen as Matt Venturi, Wingfoot member and son to Ken, talks about his dad's Hall of Fame life, his great and long-lasting friendships, and a broadcast career that spanned 35 years. All right, so Matt, one of the things that Billy and I were interested in is your dad's relationship with Harvey Ward. It seemed like they were pretty good pals, yet also arch enemies on the links. Well, they started, they, they first competed, uh, I think in this... Uh, America's Cup is what it was. They they first got to know each other, and they were thick as thieves, man, because they just they both loved kind of playing and and having a good time. And Harvey, you know, was 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 just a, a guy's guy that everybody loved hanging with anyway. So, but um, when Harvey moved out to California and and left uh, North Carolina to work for Eddie Lowry at Benetta Motors, and they were both selling cars for Eddie. That's when they really became good friends because they would play a lot of golf together and they competed in the San Francisco city. And so that's when they really started palling around. And then when uh, Harvey got married to Suzanne, uh, she was very close to my mom, Connie. And so they palled around a lot. So it was a, a great relationship. And then, again, it was really due to Eddie, Eddie Lowry, who, who, you know, got our RV out to California and put him up at San Francisco golf club, my dad at the California golf club and, and then they uh, they just, you know, they played a lot of golf together. Got to tell Billy this story about Bing Crosby and Harvey. Was it in Paris, in France? Oh, he and he, uh, Bing and Harvey were in Paris, and uh, they were out uh, carousing one night and got a little little tipsy and ended up, there was some gal that uh, stick, her, stick her head out the window, and uh, Bing started serenading her, and w- one of the residents had a wash pot and throwing it down on Bing and they had a convertible car they were sitting in and he got just totally hit with it and he looks at Harvey he goes there's always a critic (laughs) (laughs) and he'll tell that story yeah (laughs) well it travels it travels well where at some point your dad got some sort of break to get into show business how did that happen well KFRC that was the local San Francisco radio station and they covered a lot of sports and everything. And uh, I think this was the time that my dad was down at the Crosby um, and they wanted to do a, do a interview with, with Bing and him. And so Bing said to my dad, he says, okay, Ken, he says, tell me, you know, how are you going to interview me? And he says, well, he says, uh, Mr. Crosby, I'm going to say, this is Ken Venturi here. And I'm here with Mr. Crosby at the Bing Crosby. He goes, no, 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 Ken. He says, you don't do it like that. He says, you have to say, hi, this is Ken Venturi. And I'm down here, Double Beach, with Bing Crosby. <laughs> and he said, okay. And that was the beginning of, okay, how do you present and what do you do, you know, in the face of both radio and television? So I think that was a turning point for him when he, he loved to tell that story. But it's true. And I think this was the, the night that it happened. I was telling Bobby earlier that there's a, a similarity between your dad and Ralph Kiner, who was also a superstar who had to quit because of his sciatica and he became a, a, a great commentator for, for his sport. Sure did. 
anyway, um, yeah. So, and that, again, back to that point, Bill, I mean, all these guys, the athletes, they just ran together. That's how they hung. That's how they played. Great sportsmen, great, great, good buddies. And they turned up at the same places. Bing Crosby would turn up at Wingfoot. Your dad came in second in 56 to Jackie Burke. Jackie Burke, Wingfoot, right? Jack Whitaker, you just brought up, Wingfoot. Yeah. It all yeah. comes back to Wingfoot, which we think is the greatest 36 holes in golf. That's, you know, I don't and, know. And you're, you're a member there as well. What was your father's connection to Wingfoot? What kind of, you know, connection did he have there? Uh, well, it was one of his favorite courses uh of all time and i think just the allure uh too so when we would come out when i was a kid and stay in westchester during the westchester classic and spend a little time at wingfoot i i really never had the the benefit of really appreciating as much until i moved to new york in 79 and france santangelo uh unofficially put me up because it, it, in those days an italian putting up italian didn't quite work so ed schneider and wally <laughs> Ulrich were my uh my sponsors and, Those brothers. Uh, <laughs> and the first time my dad ever saw Wally uh, on the course, he was playing with Fran and, and, uh, and Fran said, Hey, I, I, I got this guy, man. He can, he can drive the 11th hole on, on the East course. And my dad said, no way. And he says, he you. so they're, they're, they make the turn to go out. Sure enough, Wally pulls out a persimmon wood and drives it to the green. And my dad said, you can't do that again. He said, yes, I can. And hits another ball, puts it on the green. And he, he said, boy, this guy's something. And I said, when, when I heard the story later, I said, Dad, you always told me never bet against the man who says he could do something because sure as hell he can. <laughs> well, the, the, the greatest thing about having Ed Schneider and Wally Ulrich, Ed Schneider was the president for two U.S. Opens. And so he was a great organizer. And nobody really challenged him because he was right, like all the time. And then if you wanted to go down the line to Wally, in Wally's heyday, not many people were bigger than Wally. No, the bear. Yeah, Ed Schneider was a sweetheart. Loved him. You must have gotten in in about five and a half minutes. <laughs> I had some good coaching there, but I was very blessed, very lucky. Your dad had a really pleasing voice, but he also taught us the game for 35-plus years. In Absolutely, yeah. Right? He called it as he saw it, which was always refreshing in TV. Johnny Miller kind of caught this the same way. But your father's analysis was always, you know, spot on. You take double bogey out of play. You've got to take six out of play. Yeah, and, and it, you know, Chikinian always said, you know, don't say the obvious. Let, you know, let the TV was there for a purpose. It wasn't like radio. And over the years, you know, he, uh, the anchors with him were Ben Scully, uh, Jack Whitaker, uh, Pat Summerall. Uh, Jimmy Nance, obviously, and over the years, you know, he just he had some good tutelage and and great guys that he worked with who taught him uh, as much as you know he was able to help someone like Jim Nance. But you know, the great great relationships, great great friendships that evolved over those over those years. And you spent time with those guys. I'm sure he started at seven or six in the morning with Pat Summerall and till three in the morning. Right. And then did it again the next day. Did he love broadcasting? Oh, he loved it. He loved it. And, and uh, you know, they, they, they did play hard. You know, Chikinian knew how to live hard. Chathol, feet 59 at the tables at Pebble. And, you know, they, in fact, Jimmy always told, I remember this going to Akron, Ohio, to Firestone Country Club. And I, I think the first time that he took Jimmy under his wing, he took him to Diamond Grill in Akron. And uh, he says, okay, let me take care of you here, kid. He says, let's order up. So he's, he's, 
says the waitress. He says, uh, I'd like a, a Diet Dr. Pepper. And she goes, oh, sir. She goes, sorry, we don't have Diet Dr. Pepper. And he says, well, in that case, I have a double crown royal. <laughs> and he looks at him and goes, stay of with course, me, kid. That, that's at least saw... Uh a replay of the 1986 masters with, with Jack Nicholas and your, and I was watching my mother's favorite golfer was Jack Nicholas. Cause my mother was from Akron, Ohio and Nicholas was Ohio. So <clears throat> I was watching it and uh, it was almost jolting to hear your dad's voice again. It was like, it brought back so much at, you know, I wasn't watching it to hear your father, but then I ended up listening to your father. Just a great iconic voice with that for that for that masters well you know thank you it's funny because i i was when i was going back and thinking about Wingfoot, and i think one of the greatest experiences i had was the 97 pga when when davis won and that was such an incredible year for me because i had members credentials cbs credentials i had a cart i had the headset i could hear Trukinian. i was up in the tower when the when he made that last putt with the rainbow and i was listening like you said, to the recap here and heard my dad's voice. And it's like, man, that, that was really something that was, that was for the ages. I mean, unbelievable. What an experience oh. that day was. Oh. Yeah, to have all those great experiences married together is, you know, oh. what awesome. can you tell people about Frank Tricania? Not many people know about him. There's a little here or there, but what, what, what could you tell people about him? Well, Frank, it really was the one that gave my dad the break. And, uh, his nickname was the Ayatollah, but uh, he was, was a strong-willed, but funny, really witty guy, super, super talented, good player. Uh, I played one of the last rounds with Frank. Uh, he shot 74, I think it was 82, and then he passed away a couple of weeks after that, but he could play. He had an incredible eye. I mean, his his uh, how, how much of an artist he was in the truck to be able to, you know, go to where the action was in his uh, – we were at Bel Air and uh, Al Michaels uh, made some comments. He said, the one thing I really regretted was never going to work with CBS and Frank Jacini. And he said, let me tell you something about Frank in the masters, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, commercial free and, and you got this going. And he said, within one hour, Frank got 56 shots in. Now, if you think about the pre, you know, pre-routine that, that guys go through and where you are and, and the course and everything, but to get 56 shots in, in one hour that he had an incredible knack of where to go, where to be and was the best. He was and, incredible. And he must've had a crew that understood follow orders. Don't question. Cause you get the cameras in the right places for all those things. It's not always easy. Well, you got to just watch 10 cup and you get a feel for, for the Ayatollah. So <laughs> that's pretty yeah. great. If he had 50 cameras, he had a, had a sense on which one was ready and which golfer was ready to hit because Nicholas would pour over a putt forever, you know, and yeah. Trevino would be blink and he's gone, right? And he's <laughs> yeah. sitting in a truck looking at 50 monitors, however many cameras up there. He's, you know. That's what I say. And the, the, actually, if you were in the truck watching that, that's the place to be because it was just incredible to see. And Lance Barrow, he, he was a su successor producer executive producer too and, and really great he learned from one of the, the greatest so hey with those cbs days and the people were just so fun so great out of that one venue and they know every every inch of every acre of every 300 400 acres of there whatever it is but what is their vulnerability if there is one they do such a good job but they only have a one-year agreement yeah well you know you can uh I, over the years with got 
Dick Ryan, he's such a wonderful, wonderful friend, 50 years plus the masters. And he was my dad's attorney um, as well. But, you know, the ability to keep that going every year with, like you said, Bob, it's a one-year contract and that's it. But CBS had to put in, you know, all the, the underground fixed costs and everything. And this, this, they've been able to perpetuate that. And they're, you know, some of the, some of the uh, commentators, you know, aren't there anymore. Yeah, they, and they say the wrong thing. Say the right things, whatever. But, Jack uh, Whitaker. I mean, Jack Whitaker Jack, is yeah, Hall yeah. of Fame. Come on. Uh, you can throw out Jack Whitaker. Yeah, he, 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 I think he called the gallery a, a, a mob. What did Gary they, McCord say that got him out of there? Oh, a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, expense of being humorous. Yeah, but it, you know it's, that's true. That's 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 the masters. You know, it's turned into an incredible institution. One thing I do recall, and I think every big time, even like a Smiley Kaufman or Nota Begay today, they are Sweden. They don't. They may have a little rooting interest in this person or that person, but when they're commentating, like your dad would say, "Ho down ball, ho down ball," right? He yeah. would go by the putt. You know, he was rooting. It didn't matter who it was. It could be the last place guy, but he wanted him to finish as well as he could. You know, he kind of created that that instinct, if you will. Yeah, he was there. I I, uh, I tell you, one of the, the greatest experiences I had was the 2000 President's Cup. <clears throat> so my dad had just finished really his broadcast career. He knew, you know, so, so many insights into these players and he couldn't play anymore himself, obviously. So being the captain of the President's Cup, uh, at RTJ and being able to, and, and Peter Thompson was the international uh, captain. And, you know, as he picked the players and as, as it goes, uh, he had so many great insights into what the talent was, what their, you know, who they could be paired with well. And he just loved it because he was in his element from a strategic standpoint, you know, because he couldn't play, but he could leverage these guys and do it when he was just finishing his career where he, he just, had a great sense and uh, and to just see him behind the ropes and how he was kind of doing that was so cool because it, it all came to a culmination here that that I never had, had experienced before because I, I really didn't get a chance to see him play you know because I was so much younger I saw him win the San Francisco City Championship uh, but that was the only one in the U.S. Open I was seven years old away at a camp so you know seeing him in action and, and seeing that Presidents Cup that year was was really a great experience. USSO Cole got bombed and oh. and uh, all the players wore black uh, ribbons and it was just the camaraderie was great. It was what an experience. It was the year before 9-11, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it comes with a sacrifice and you you grew, like you said, you were doing things families do. And your dad was either earning a living on a golf course or earning a living on a golf course behind a microphone. It, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. What's it like growing up in the, in yeah, you know, I wouldn't uh, trade any of it. I, you know, he, he wasn't around a lot when he, we moved to Palm Springs is when I spent more time with him because my folks got divorced. Uh, I lived with my dad that sophomore, junior, senior year. Um, and so, and that's when I started playing golf. I never really played golf until then because he traveled and didn't have time. Um, in fact, when we moved to Palm Springs, our house wasn't ready. So we moved in with Mr. Sinatra for two weeks, live with them. And they, <laughs> they became, and were very good friends. Uh, so that was a kind of a fun period down there. And, uh, and so I got a little bit more of a chance to, to, you know, kind of hands-on with them, with the, with the golf. But then, um, you know, over the years, you, you just stay close to it. I, was fortunate to uh, become good friends with Jesse Ortiz with Olimar and then co-founded Bobby Jones golf company and 
Dick Ryan was involved with that. But, you know, you keep your hand in it, and golf's been really wonderful. I mean, being able to join Wingfoot and have that continue to be, you know, just a great a, a great thing to have and be able to reflect on and be able to come back because I'm living on the West Coast here. But, you know, I mean, just so so fortunate to have golf in my in, in my life and my dad, you know, is credited with that. So it's wouldn't trade anything. Just, just living in Palm Springs is not a bad deal either. Well, in those days there wasn't much going on. So, you know, now everything's kind of pushed out toward Palm Desert and, and right. uh, Indian Wells. But uh, it, it was an interesting period. And um, when uh, he, he, he was there for, he, he took the job at Mission Hills as, as director of golf and then started his career broadcasting, was traveling a lot. He ended up moving back to uh, Florida. And you talk about Gene Saracen. Gene Saracen and he were the two pros at Marco Island and, and Marco, Island, Marco Island Shores. But, you know, he was just looking for a place where during the winter he could hang, and then during the summer he'd be traveling doing the, the broadcast. So, uh, but Palm Springs, you know, we, my brother lives down there in Indy Wells now. He's been in the golf cart business and now has his company back nine greens. And, it's fun going back. You know, the desert's therapeutic. It really is great. Well, lift tour is very interesting. Um, you know, I think limited number of players you get, you're either on the roster or you're not. Uh, they obviously paid a lot of money. And uh, uh, my understanding was, uh, you know, the Saudis were really looking to take over the European tour. Uh, they, they didn't have that opportunity. Um, and so they, you know, created this. And I think it's, it's been a wake up call for the tour. There's no question about it. Um, but I give them credit uh, for, you know, stepping up. And I really give credit to, to Tiger and to Rory and the guys who have really been leaders in terms of taking a position. And honestly, you know, some guys who have decided to take the money and go, you know, God bless him. I, I just, I think it's been a terrible thing for golf. And I think my dad's probably rolling over his grave over the whole thing, but um, guys pick their spots and, and they're going to have to live with it. But I, I'm not sure how long the lives tour is really going to continue to, uh, to go. I think a rumor has it that, you know, uh, MBS, when he figures that out, he's going to shut it down. I mean, look what happened to credit Suisse debacle and everything else. So I, I, I'm not sure how long it's, it's got, but we'll see. We can't get much of a viewership going that's for sure as i keep saying and I, I don't know if you agree or not but it's like if you win on the live tour who really cares yeah i mean what if you actually won and it's actually I mean, the money's you know, great think... fine if you need the money take the money i i don't I, I don't justify uh condemning people for taking what they need to live or what they think they need to live but in my opinion it's not anything to do with uh golf or prestigious golf or tradition or anything like it. It's just cash. Well, especially, I mean, you think about it now too, Billy, I mean, this young talent is coming up to college playing. And I mean, we've got these seven kids with these Venturi members at Cal club. They're just fantastic kids. And Isaiah Salinda is one of them. And then these guys are aspiring to become pro and, and good pros. And, you know, that's what the competition is. It's not going playing on the live. I mean, so I think right. they're almost, they're, they're designed to become obsolete at some point here. And I just, I just, if it can't be simpatico, I, 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 they should have all gotten in a room together and figured out how to coexist and make it work. And they couldn't do it. It should have been a consensual kind of agreement on making it work. And I think the egos were too big and there was just too much history there and, and it was too fractious and they just couldn't 
couldn't do it. And that's just too bad for, I think it's bad for golf, but it's, I think it's going to eventually the, the live tour is going to have a tough, tough time. Well, and you know, every cloud has a silver lining. Like you said, the PGA tour has stepped up and, you know, it's become more financially beneficial to the players, but it's also, you know, it's like a farm system. You you can aspire in college to make the PGA Tour. You can't aspire to make the live. You have to be asked. That's right. right? There's no there's no earning your way onto the live tour. Yeah, that's right. So a little lighter. What's your favorite hole at Wingfoot? You got 36. You can choose the putting green too. That's a, another hole. There's two putting greens. <laughs> Billy and I might choose the putting green any given day. But what's your favorite hole to play at Wingfoot? Uh, you know, there's so many great holes. I, uh, I, I always like four West cause I, I just thought it set up with my eye. I don't know. I four at Bel Air's had, had used to have a similar look and then both those holes have been redone a little bit. Um, uh, but I, I love that hole. I, I think nine West is God, it's just so majestic. Um, and I think 15 is a, is a great hole. Uh, Freddie Cochran's old, home hole where I guess uh, Ken lives now uh, listen to your podcast, which was great. Yeah. Um, and then the East course, you know, I love, uh, I think uh, number 13, the part three is fantastic. And 18's almost as good as nine on, on the West. But, um, and I, I think I, I, you know, I enjoy playing the East a great deal. I think it's very underrated. Um, and it's just, you know, my dad always said, you know, don't hide flags. It's just, you got to be able to pop and run. And I, the East always kind of, I thought, flowed to my eye a little different from the West. And the West is just a big drink of water. So it's, 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 they're just, I mean, holy smokes. I mean, thir- the greatest 36 fold in golf, bar none. I mean, gosh, what, what could ever come to match it? What do you think is the hardest green to putt or to read? Well, I haven't been out there for a little while, but uh, t- 10, uh, uh, West is not too easy for me, but I tell you, I think since Gil came, there's a little more false fronts than, than I was used to even like a one and some of the really, uh, severe ones, if, if you're above the hole. So (laughs) one's always a big, a big wake up call when you, when you get started. So it's, it's one taking a guess out there and that would be above the hole. (laughs) You know, if you look at it, there's very few holes without like six, you wouldn't say West is a false front. But one through five, false front, eight, uh, seven, eight, nine, nine, maybe not. Ten, gosh, that's a bad false front if you come down a foot off that green. So here's another one. Your dad and you, hypothetically, you're in New York and you're in the 21 club. And hypothetically, the 21 club is still open. And there's two guys in there. One guy's on the right and one guy's on the left. On the right is, uh, is Frank Sinatra in his prime. On the left is... Uh, James Bond 007 on the left is in 21 over there on the right. And James Bond, Sean Connery in his prime is on the left. Where are you guys heading first? <laughs> well, I, you know, I've never met uh, uh, Sean Connery. I know he's a great golfer and he's a funny stories about him, but uh, Mr. S we used to call him. He, he, he and my dad were, uh, were very close. Uh, in fact, uh, after my dad won the U S open, he, he had an appointment at Twitch Shores restaurant. Uh, and the president of the United States, Lyndon B. Johnson called up and said, uh, they called up on his behalf and, and asked him to come to the white house. And he said, I'm sorry, but please tell the president, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, but I have a, 
commitment tonight to Twitch Shores. And so he went to Twitch Shores that night, and Mr. Snocker was there, and Joey Lewis was there too, who would open up for him. And he sees Joey Lewis, and, and Joey Lewis says, My dad, he goes, Hey, Kenny, he says, I got to tell you, he says, I, I saw you, I saw you stumbling, I saw you almost near collapse and the exhaustion of, of the finishing and the 18th hole. He says, I got to tell you, it was the greatest act I ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> but 21 was great. Tutchord was great. Gallagher's was great. PJ Clark's. I remember going to my dad to those guys, those places. I mean, a lot of fun memories. New York was always the greatest because the people here, the families, um, you know, the Santangelo family, wonderful, wonderful family. Just, uh, just a second family to me. The Dratties were always great to us. Um, and just hanging. I remember when I come out as a little kid, I go up in the locker room and and shine shoes at, at Westchester with uh, Tony up there, you know. I mean, it was just a great hang. So, so many great memories. And then being able to come back working on the street and, and joining Wingfoot was just, I mean, you know, you couldn't ask for anything more, more wonderful. When are you coming out next? Uh, Centennial. I'm, I'm going to actually, I'll tell you what I'm doing. My girlfriend's uh, father's turning 96 today. Uh, he was an Irish immigrant. He came over 18. He fought in the, the war, uh, became a U.S. citizen. He's 95. He works five days a week at Home Depot still. We're taking him to Ireland to go see his 103-year-old brother. Wow. Bally <laughs> James Dunn, and then we're flying back, and we're going to be here for the centennial. So I can't wait. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Wow. There's some genes in that family. Yeah, yeah. she's going to be around a long time, this girl. You better start <laughs> working out. I know you're in good shape, but you better double it up. <laughs> What's you your favorite me. movie? Not Caddyshack. What's your favorite movie of all, or two or three favorite movies? Billy and I are movie fans. Yeah, but there, no uh, one can have just one favorite movie. Well, let's see. I I, I think uh, The Godfather 2 was probably my favorite because, I mean, Shawshank Redemption, some of these are some great movies. But I always, the reason why I like Godfather is because it was filmed at the Kaiser Estate. And when my dad was a kid, my grandparents would take him up to Tahoe. And he told a story about how he was out on the Kaiser State dock. Henry Kaiser was out there and, and the, the grandson fell in the water. It was really super cold. My dad jumped in and got the kid, pulled, pulled the kid out. And uh, Mr. Kaiser says, oh, he, he says, oh, thank you so much. He says, I'll tell you what. He says, you can drive my boats anytime. And it had a whole fleet of crisscrass. My dad, my, there's these pictures of my dad driving the crisscrass and stuff. So we used to go up there. And that was always so fun. So I think when I saw The Godfather, I saw it from the Kaiser Estate and the whole theme of the movie, I thought, oh, this is so great. You know, it's like a throwback. But so just don't, but don't so say a Hail Mary while you're on the boat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of relationship did your dad have with caddies? Did he have one all the time or did it matter to him? Yeah. Yeah. Most of those guys didn't travel with you. Uh, when my, my dad was, was on the tour, my uncle Bruce would drive the car. And Tony Lima would drive shotgun next to him. And then they would pick up the caddies at, at different at the uh, local places. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's the way it was. But, and he grew up, you know, caddying and he, he, uh, he, he told the story about how, when he came back to the U S open, he went to, to Cyprus and, and bought uh, Kentucky fried chicken and Dom Perion and with the caddies and celebrated with them, you know, cause I mean, these guys, it's, there's a common commonality and, uh, you, you always, you know, you never forget where you came from. Yeah, so well, and if you love golf the way we all love it, you learn to appreciate the caddies. Yeah. No, we, had a, we had a John Birdman <laughs> and uh, Bobby Collins, and we're going to have more 
And those guys have the real stories. And so you mentioned Tony Lima. We ought to take a minute or two before our time runs out here. You got to have a Tony Lima story because there was a colorful, good golfer that unfortunately died young, right? He died yeah. trying to do to be charitable. Wasn't wasn't he uh, going to a charitable exhibition? Yeah, well, uh, I think they I think they were in Akron and uh, or maybe Detroit, and, and uh, they were in the locker room together and. And Tony said uh, they were supposed to go to an an, an, an ex tournament together in, a, in an exhibition. And he said, "I'm not going, Ken." And he said, "Why?" And he said, uh, "Well, I, I made another commitment." And he said, "No, you, you have this commitment, Tony. You can't you can't do that." And he said, "No, I you know I got it. I'm going to do this." And and you know I think they were paying him more money and whatever. So uh, my dad said that uh, he 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 heard he was I don't know where he was, but he heard someone said a. a a golf professional that just crashed in an airplane. And my dad said, I, he said he knew it was Tony and yeah. knew that case. So, but Tony grew up uh, in the Bay area and my uh, grandfather gave him his first pair of golf shoes. No, I'm sorry. My grandmother gave Tony his first pair of golf shoes. And my grandfather gave George Archer his first pair of golf shoes at Harding Park. But, you know, Tony was, was champagne Tony. He was uh Good looking guy, nice guy, great player, got a lot of talent, um, and just died way, 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 way too young. So one last thought here. You and your dad are going out to play golf, and you can play with two people. Who are you filling out your foursome with? If you and your dad got together, here's the two guys we want to play the East Course of Wingfoot. This is who we want, nobody else. Who's it going to be? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'd like to get out there with Franny Santangelo again. He'd, he'd be one of my guys. And Bill Fugate, because those guys were about as colorful as you get and, uh, and classic Wingfoot. Uh, and uh, that would be a heck of a foursome. I think I know why you picked him, because when your dad played at Wingfoot, he played with him like he was had played with him last week and the week before last and the week before last. He was very comfortable up there. Many people thought he was a member. He was so comfortable there, but you know, he was out on the road a lot. He, when he came in, they thought, Oh, there's, there's Ken, you know, one of our members, he's just sitting in the grill room telling stories like Franny. Yeah. Well, they, they were very, uh, very gracious. The club was very good to him and he loved it. He loved the members and he, he loved the, loved it like a home. Yeah, but, how he, yeah. he represented it with class on both sides of the camera. But you can't say enough about a guy who who purports himself that well that long, and in two uh, incredibly difficult venues to crack. It's it's kind of an amazing story that he could be that good at golf, and then that good at broadcasting golf. It's doesn't happen every day. Oh, thanks, Bill. It was he was very blessed and very fortunate. And uh, life treated him well. I don't know how he overcame speak, speaking challenges, but he also had this uncanny thing of remembering names. He remembered names. I don't know how he did that. It, he must have had a trick because he had to meet so many people, and then he'd see him a year later and he'd remember names. Yeah, you I don't know how he did that. It, that was uh, pretty uncanny because uh, he'd go back three, four years and remember the situation. But uh, it was a good talent. It's nice to have. I wish I had it. <laughs> the, the picture of him here with uh, Bing Crosby on that is that a Labrador retriever? Yeah, that was Bing's Bing's dog. Well, you can see your dad had a way with dogs too, because the dog is completely comfortable, and so is your father just petting him there. That's a, it's a great picture. 
but real quick story. So, you know, he did guiding eyes for blind for many years, 25 plus years. And, and then uh, Dick Ryan it, it was very active. Roy Fugazi, very active with it. But there's a great story. It was this, this man, Omar, he was, he was a blind man and, and he was at one of the, the last dinners that I went to. And he said, this is Ken Venturi's dog. And he said, well, what do you mean? He says, I was in the, the tower on the 85th floor. Uh, it was Avery. Uh, and he said, I, I, my, my dog, he said, I wasn't going to make it out. And he said, I, I gave this person my dog to take. And he said, his dog came back and grabbed him and got him out of the, out of the tower. Wow. Wow. Matt, this is so wonderful that you gave us this time. And by doing that, you gave hundreds or thousands of people to see this. And it's a great peek into a, a family, a life, and that spans hundreds, more than 100 years in golf. And it's going to continue going forward. Thanks so much. Have a great time while you're in Rye at Shea Fugazi. <laughs> okay. Yeah, living large, living large. Thanks, guys. Bob, Billy. We'll thank see you, so you much. in May. Thanks. I'm thanks looking forward again, to it. Matty. All right. God bless you guys. Thanks so much. The West is just a big drink of water. So it's, 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 they're just, I mean, holy smokes. I mean, thir- the greatest 36 fold in golf. And Fran said, Hey, I, I, I got this guy, man. He can, he can drive the 11th hole on, on the East course. And my dad said, no way. And he said, so they're, they're, they make the turn and go out. Sure enough, Wally pulls out a persimmon wood and drives it to the green. And my dad said, you can't do that again. He said, yes, I can. And hits another ball, puts it on the green. And he, he said, boy, this guy's something. And I said, when, when I heard the story later, I said, Dad, you always told me never bet against the man who says he could do something because sure as hell he can. <laughs> Did he love broadcasting? Oh, did loved he? it. He loved it. And, and uh, you know, they, they they did play hard. You know, Chikinian knew how to live hard. Chathol, feet 59 at the tables at Pebble. And my dad was down at the Crosby. Um, and they wanted to do a do an interview with, with Bing and him. And so... Bing said to my dad, he says, okay, Ken, he says, tell me, you know, how are you going to interview me? And he says, well, he says, uh, Mr. Crosby, I'm going to say this is Ken Venturi here, and I'm here with Mr. Crosby at the Bing Crosby. He goes, no, 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 Ken. He says, you don't do it like that. He says, you have to say, hi, this is Ken Venturi, and I'm down <laughs> here at Double Beach with Bing Crosby. <laughs> and he said, okay. So I think that was a turning point. For Thanks me. for joining Casper. us today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please Marky. subscribe to the Twitter. show and hit Claude the bell icon so you get notified Movie classics. of new episodes. Mark Gable. Hit them hard job. and hit them off. That's 36 holes.